Hey everyone, welcome to Seth Rudetsky's Back to School. We are with Wayne Brady this week, and he made money as a teenager working at Disney in the theme park. And some amazing performers started out that way. I mean, you have to be so talented. Betty Buckley worked at Six Flags. Kristen Chenoweth worked at Opryland. Like, you have to be really talented. So, I mean, not surprising, when I was a teenager, I went to go audition for a theme park, for Hershey Park. It was a big open call. I was probably like 16. It was me and my friend Rob Schnapp, and we were waiting and waiting, and actually, I'm almost positive my friend Diana Barrows, anyone that knows Annie, Diana Barrows is the orphan that has the braids. So I became pals with her when we were kids, and she was there. So she had gone up before us, and I was like, show me the dance. So she started showing me the dance audition, and it was really hard. It was like a country kind of cloggy dance. It was like step, clap, clap, clap. Like, you know, you have to clap like your foot keeps moving around. Anyway, I maybe got like six beats out of what she showed me. I was like, uh-huh. So anyway, cut to, I go into the audition. I finally get him. They start teaching this clogging dance. And um, I had the solid first six beats. I <laughs> never got past the first six beats. So we're learning it. And I was like, oh my God, there are like 40 more steps that I don't know. So I'm like, I can't do this dance audition. I'm just going to forego it. So I sneak out of the room. And if you don't know, you know, they teach in a big group. And they say, okay, now let's see you in groups of four. So I sneak out of the room while they're teaching the whole group. And then they start putting in groups of four. And I literally hear them being like, Seth Rudetsky. Seth Rudetsky, like mortifying, they call my name, Seth Rudetsky. So the monitor comes out and I said, oh, hi. I said, I'm Seth. I'm the one, you know, I opted out of the dancing. Anyway, so yeah, I'm not into the dancing part, but um, I'm going to stay so they can hear me sing. And the monitor's like, oh, okay, hold on a minute. So he goes back in and he comes out. He's like, yeah, no, they're not interested. I was like, wait, what? He's like, no, you can't sing for them. I don't know what I was thinking. Did I think they were going to go, huh? That guy obviously doesn't want to dance. So let's literally write a role where all he has to do is sing. He's got something. We got to put him in the show. We could tell from those 10 seconds of him looking panicked and then fleeing. He's got it. Instead, they were like, no, you can't come back and sing. You left the dance audition. End of the story is I never got to work in a theme park. But I did, however, go to Hershey Park as a patron. All right. Get ready for Wayne Brady. Dreading morning classes. Stealing bathroom passes. Football. Drivers and SATs. Bullies that attack me. Why do I have back knees? Jockstraps. Training bras. Frenemies. We remember back then. It's like freshman year again. Ready, steady, now you're in it. Pencil stop this any minute. Wayne Brady. Now! Hey everyone, it's Seth Rudetsky. Perhaps you know my guest from Whose Line Is It Anyway? Kinky Boots on Broadway, How I Met Your Mother, The Masked Singer, by the way, The Winner, or Let's Make a Deal, Wayne Brady! <laughs> hey, Mr. Seth. Where did you go to high school and when did you graduate? I went to high school at two places. I went to high school in Orlando, Florida. Uh, my sophomore year was spent at West Orange High School, and then my junior and senior year at Dr. Phillips High School. Why? You got kicked the hell out? No, because... I was bust from my neighborhood. In Orlando, there were various hoods, like where I grew up called Tangelo Park, and then Carver Shores, Washington Heights, Pine Hills. And the busing program, you would find yourself maybe in a school that was 45 minutes away from you because they were trying to have more Black students there. And I also got bust because the school that I was going to had the gifted program and the other ones close by didn't. So I ended up going to super posh, Dr. Phillips High School, brand new high school. Not everyone gets that new high school smell. Brand new high school, first time used, my junior, senior year. It was amazing. And it's the same high school, actually, that people like 
Amanda Seals, Joey Fatone, Howie Doreau, so many people in show business went there just by a fluke. And what was the makeup of it? It was just basically white and posh? No, Dr. Phillips had an incredibly diverse grouping, but it was very rich, like very, very, very rich or very, very poor. And it was a great social experiment because they brought together all these different neighborhoods. And I really could not have had a better high school experience. Were you rich or poor? Oh, I was poor. But you know, the good thing is when you have love and when you have someone in your life, your parents, or in my case, I was raised by my grandmother, I didn't know that I was really poor. You know, she being from the Virgin Islands, the island upbringing is all about you will never go to school dirty and you will never go to school looking like you have less than anyone else. I was clean, clean, pressed and ready to go. Little Lord Fauntleroy in the hood. And I say that with the caveat of my father, who wasn't in the picture physically, he was in the military. Dad did send money and took care of me. So it wasn't like I was begging on the streets. But you don't really realize those things until it's shoved in your face, right? So I think the first time it really hit me was in my junior year when I see 16-year-old kids driving Ferraris and Bentleys and BMWs and everyone's wearing U-Men and Hugo Boss. You know, I had a little issue with self-esteem for a second with that and with a bunch of other things like race and class and caste and whole thing. And I was a year and a half to two years younger than some of the kids in my grade because I skipped a grade. Being a sophomore at 15 is cool, but the year of development that goes between 14 and 15 or 14 and 15 and a half, it's huge. So I developed later than a lot of the kids. The things that I was interested in, they were slightly off, but then I was kind of forced to grow up a little faster so I could keep up. So I constantly felt a little overwhelmed. But I really say that it was the best high school experience for me personally because theater saved my life. Like once I started acting in my junior year, you would have thought that I was a football jock, how great my life was. I was voted most talented. I was a star of the high school shows. I had all the female attention that I could ask for. I was working outside of school. I had a great experience. Were the cliques divided by race in your school or was it divided by money and interests? Both. There were definitely some racial cliques. Like I said, at West Orange, you had the FFA, the Future Farmers of America, which were a lot of rednecks. But growing up, I had a lot of redneck friends because it was Florida. So I knew a lot of the dudes who their sentences always started with, hey, man, look at this. I was friends with those guys. And then you had, that's when breakdancing really started. So then you had a bunch of the breakdancing crews and the cliques. And then we had a big Latin population of Cuban and Puerto Rican. And then you had the super rich kids from the surrounding neighborhoods. And they were mostly white. And luckily, I was very adept at being who I was going to be with whatever group. So I could sit and talk with the farmers I could talk with the nerds, being as I was a huge one and I played D&D. Dungeons and Dragons, that is so 80s, yeah. Oh man, that was my jam. And then I was a break dancer, so I would fit in with you know the kids from my own hood and then the rich kids. I was able to talk the talk and walk the walk. Oh, and lastly, the kids in ROTC. 
I was in ROTC for two years for my 10th and 11th grade year, the Reserve Officer Training Corps in the Air Force ROTC. So that was my primary click. The ROTC was your primary click because you were planning on going to the Air Force? I joined ROTC because Q, not my father's son. Kinky boots, yes. I felt that that was a thing that my father and I could have in common. He was in the Army, big Army guy, drill sergeant and an Army combat engineer and just big, strong guy. And I was not that. And I felt, oh, this is the thing. So when my dad calls, I can actually talk to him and get his advice on, hey, dad, how do I wear my uniform? And is my gig line straight? And hey, I just got a promotion and I'm blah, 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 blah. But my daughter makes fun of me because she says that really what I wanted was I was just happy to be wearing a costume. It wasn't that it was a uniform. It's like, look at me. I'm in a costume when I'm marching. And it was the closest that I could come to performing. So she's actually right. Because I was on the drill team and the saber team. So I got to march and I had the sword. We would do all this dance stuff and throw the sword. And so it was kind of a role. But it was the closest that I could get to my dad. So I rocked it for two years until I quit. So when you were in high school, were you thinking my career is going to be in the army? Or were you just doing it to placate your father and you knew at one point you'd escape? I couldn't even think that far ahead. I knew that I didn't want to be in the military. But if it was the thing that was going to get me noticed by my dad, then I'll do it. That's why my junior year changed my life when I met Karen Regario, my drama teacher. Well, actually, I met a drama teacher before her, Vicki Felder, and she's the one that got me into forensics. Mm. I love that because it was just enough acting with the presentation and the book and the voice, because I've always had this, the voice that I have now, I had when I was a kid. So she's like, darling, your voice, look at you. You are giving me Sidney Poitier. She swore that she was a big drag queen inside of a black woman's body. And she scared the hell out of me because I'd never really dealt with a woman like that. And she changed my life by getting me into forensics and became a friend. I ended up doing Raisin in the Sun with her at our local uh, professional theater while I was in high school. And then she pushed me towards the woman that really would kick things into high gear. So I didn't know that I wanted to do it until I started doing that. I truly was at a loss. So you wouldn't have gone into theater if she hadn't noticed that you were tall and had a nice speaking voice. I think I transferred into drama. It was one of the art requirements. And I was so excited to do it. But I was very conscious of the fact that I didn't want to look bad to the other guys in ROTC, especially during, uh, um, I don't know how many of your listeners were thespians, you know, the, um, the International Thespian Society. Yes. But then, you know, the first week of school when everybody is doing the, um, the thespian uh, rites and the initiation and you're doing the uh, ode to Thespis and everybody's running around dressed up all week and you're seeing them be so super free, the jocks and the ROTC guys, of course, wanted to make fun of them because we're like, look, they're such dicks running around, such dicks. He's so gay, right, bro? So gay. How gay? Very. Just stupid. I felt like a moron talking with some of the people that I talked with, but it was the only way to fit in. But I knew inside that I wanted to be in that group, but there was no way that I could be because they would never accept me or so the story that I told myself. So getting into the drama class helped break that bridge. And then finally, when I got cast for a show, that's when I was able to quit ROTC and really be me. When I say that it's like an after school moment, when I walked into the auditorium, it was like fame. 
I walked in from the outside. There were kids dancing on the piano, singing. Someone is doing mime over here and the animated conversation. Everyone's dancing and they just looked so happy. And I walk in, ramrod straight in my dress blues. It's like I'm reporting to Mr. Gario because a kid that I was in ROTC with named Keith, and he's a judge in Florida to this day, I always thank Keith. If he hadn't have dropped out of the play, I don't know if I would have been in show business. He was cast in the play in a small role. He had to drop out because I think he had a crew championship or whatever. That's how rich our school was. They had crew. So he had to drop out. And he's like, hey, guys, as a joke to like the room, hey, guys, I've got to drop out of the school play. Does anybody want to take my part? It's this really small part. And all the other guys are like, oh, that'd be stupid. And I said, yeah, man, I'll do it. Because it'd be fun to go and make fun of those stupid theater kids. And I'll just like be dumb and mess up the show. They're like, good job, Brady. Yeah, man. Inwardly, I was like, oh, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why when I walked into the theater, I quit so fast. I went to the counselor. I went, no, I'm done. I'm going to give up this credit. I'm going to have to be in drama. But I thought you were going to get a scholarship and go to Nate. Nope, 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 please. Please, I got to get in drama. And they put me in drama too. And it was off to the races. Wow, that's a big switch. And did your dad ever actually come see you in a show in high school? My dad never saw me work professionally until I'd already graduated and I was already doing TV. Three years after I graduated, he saw me. I did a, um, I was in Georgia where he was stationed and I was shooting two episodes of In the Heat of the Night. And what I'm so proud of is I called dad because we hadn't spoken for a minute because in my senior year of high school, I was doing any get your gun at the local community theater. And I decided that I wanted to shave my head into a mohawk because I was playing the character called Mac. I don't know if you guys know any Get Your Gun Well, but Mac isn't a really big character at all. So I built my own thing because I read about the times and I gave him this whole backstory. So I wanted to shave myself this mohawk. It's funny how the shit you argue about really isn't the thing you're arguing about. Mm. My dad flew in from Georgia specifically to discipline me because my grandma and I got into it because once she realized that this wasn't a phase, that I said, oh, as soon as I graduate, I'm going to start working. I'm not going to go to college. I'm going to do this thing. Oh. World War III blew up. Then my aunt got involved in it. We started fighting. Wow. I said things that teenagers say. She said things that adults say when they are threatened by teenagers getting in their face. Next thing I know, my dad flies in. And that was the thing in the household. Because dad was always stationed anywhere. It's like, look, if your father has to fly in, that's your ass. Oh. Dad flew in. Wow. This was that moment in movies when the son is like, you know what? I'm not scared of you, dad. And then in some movies, the dad goes, all right, son, you stood up to me. I'm proud of you. <laughs> okay. Well, guess what? This wasn't that movie. Oh. <laughs> My dad smacked the shit out of me and I flew across the room. <gasps> that is not hyperbole. That's physics. I flew across the room. Oh my God. So pissed off the family. Cut to a few years later. Piss off the family? What about pissing off you for beating you up? Well, 
see, like, I don't want it to sound like he just walked in arms akimbo and knocked me out. I really did mouth off. I was very empowered and emboldened by my new lifestyle choices. And theatrical. So very theatrical. So I feel that some of those movies that I'd watched helped fuel the monologue that I said to dad. And it was one of those things. You just don't get in certain people's faces. My dad was a trained killer for the U.S. Army. It's like, what business do I have standing up to me and going, you know what? You always try to tell me what to do. Ain't no damn body. I would tell you, Junior, stop. I would tell you, Junior, stop. I would tell you, I get it. I don't fault him, but we just had a little bit of a rift. I still loved him and he still loved me. And the whole thing was in certain strict households, it's like, look, you know what? If you think that you are such a man, then you need to start taking care of yourself and do the things that you're going to do. Because if you're going to act like an adult, then you can't be taken care of like a child. And I got that. So I conducted myself as an adult. I started working my senior year. I was paying rent to my mom. I was saving my money. I said, this is what I'm going to do. If I'm making this lifestyle, if I'm going to be an actor, I'm going to show you that I will take care of myself. So cut two, I call my dad up. He's stationed in Georgia. He's like 40 minutes away from where I'm shooting in Conyers, Georgia. And this man couldn't have been more proud. And we, for the first time, we sat down, we talked, like we talked, talked, we hugged. I learned about him. And this is a far deeper thing than just the high school thing. But, you know, no matter what race you are, there's certain traumas that follow you generationally. And I feel like in Black families, the generational trauma, and this is in my opinion and in things that I've read, that's responsible for certain things that happen in in neighborhoods and in our family dynamic and certain reasons why certain families are not together and why we break apart and why there is a schism. And in dealing with each other, I got to know my dad for a little bit. And it made sense to me why he conducted himself the way that he did because his generation before him treated him a certain way and told him this is what it meant to be a man. Just like I'm sure his father, as much as he saw him, talked to him a certain way and so on and so forth. So in being able to share my little bit of success with him at that point, dad, I'm on a TV show. I saw the real man. I saw this guy who was not a uniform. I saw my dad. I've got two amazing memories of my dad, and that's the second one, of being a grown man and him loving me and hugging me and calling his friends. And then when it aired later that summer, oh my gosh, you would have thought that I won an Academy Award. Nobody trumpeted me louder than that dude. So I got to see him undergo a change. Wow, it's interesting how it's all connected. So... Back to the specifics of high school, it sounds like you flitted from group to group, but did you actually have a close friend that you were able to open up to, or were you just sort of playing a role all the time? I was playing a role all the time. I had a couple friends, but I had a lot of problems in high school in terms of self-image. You know, once again, going back to a race, because of the way that the high school was situated, I always felt that I needed to find my tribe. I didn't feel particularly close to a lot of the black students or the black student union because a lot of the kids that I grew up with in my neighborhood didn't feel particularly close to me because 
of however they perceive me as being different. Like in the wild, when one of the wolf cubs smells different mm -hmm. or they've been touched, they get left behind. I always felt like that dude. So I always felt like I was trying to fit in someplace. And maybe I'll fit in over here. And maybe I can mimic the way that these guys talk. And I can fit in here. And I can talk alternative music and heavy metal with the slackers in the corner and talk about the Motley Crue right. or Duran Duran. And this week, I will talk about hip hop with these guys. And then I'll do country with the other guys. And I, can, I never quite fit in because I never felt good in my skin. I felt like I was ugly. I felt like I was too black because I had people that looked like me say, oh, you so black, dot, dot, dot. Then I would turn around and there'd be white folks that go, oh, hey, you're too black, but you're cool, but you're this not knowing and feeling horrible about myself. So really it wasn't until I locked in in drama that I found the thing that Wayne can do it sounds like the whole childhood was basically trying to avoid being spanked and fit in. But what was your actual free time, fun time like? Would you ever go to like the ice cream shop, S-H-O-P-P-E? That's how I pictured it when you said it. Ye old ice cream <laughs> <Thank> shop. Thank you. <laughs> um, in high school, that's when I got freedom, like my junior year. Yeah. So what I ended up doing was on a Friday night, we would cruise I drive. There were a couple of guys that I started hanging out with. And we would get in someone's car and International Drive is a big strip in Orlando. And you either cruise that or you go downtown. And then because I started working at Disney as a high schooler, I was really hanging out with a bunch of adults. And that was kind of a different education altogether. Like I was in clubs and going to wild ass parties and basically doing everything that my grandmother. See what happens when you're strict? Your kid just goes, like a Muppet, just run. I'm going to have some fun. So that's what I did. What about dating? Were you able to date girls and be comfortable with that? I did not have a girlfriend at all until the middle of my junior year. Then it was great. Then I was able to actually talk to a girl without feeling like a complete mess. Did you feel like you had to date a black girl in your school? No. I just wanted someone who liked me. You could have been purple with yellow stripes as long as you like me because i did like i ended up dating my first real girlfriend in high school was white i met her because uh we were auditioning for oklahoma of course age-old story <laughs> exactly but then i was always attracted to whomever like race never really played a huge part in what i liked and going back to the identity thing if you like certain people that look like you, but then the girl that looks like you turns around and says that she doesn't want you, then you turn this way or you turn whichever way you actually get that love. So early on, I made up my mind that I was going to like whoever liked me. And it's worked out for me so far. I see you went from, oh, I never had any girlfriends to you actually had a, a ton of girlfriends. So I don't have any sympathy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's weird. It's absolutely weird. I don't know how it happened. Confidence is such a huge thing. And once I started acting, I had so much confidence and my face cleared up because I had a lot of zits, like in my sophomore year. Yeah. Um, and puberty kind of kicked me in my nuts for a second. What was your go-to pimple medicine? Um, toothpaste. I read that's good for drying out. When I was a kid, I was more Oxy-5 and then when it got really bad, Oxy-10. Remember that? That was like severe. See, that's when you can go to the store and buy Oxy-10 
toothpaste is oxy one. That's what we could afford at that point. Crest. <laughs> Busted. 100%, by the way. And then did you ever get in trouble in high school? You sound like such a goody two-shoes. Which was part of the problem as well. Folks would go, oh, you never get in trouble. That, because why would I get in trouble if I know that if I get in trouble at school, I'm going to go home and get my butt beat. I'm not going to do that. The one time I got in trouble was in ninth grade because I was hanging out with a guy named Donnie Kaminga and Raul Gallego. And he had a card in his wallet that said, it was a fishing card that said, Master Baiters of America. And we thought it was the funniest thing in the world. So we sat in the back of Ms. Barnes English class. And because I wanted to try to fit in with those guys, mm -hmm. of course, I think it's a brilliant idea I never got the courage to speak up unless it was to answer a question. The one time I think, okay, all right. I get the card and go, ma'am, yes, yes, Wayne. Um, have you heard of an organization called the uh, Masturbators of America? Because I've just joined. <laughs> Principal's office. I felt like such a moron. By the way, for people listening, Wayne just did a full line reading of, as he's saying the words, he's looking around the room, looking for the reaction and then awkward fake laugh. And we continue. <laughs> Sorry, I love the acting choices. <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't even pan out. Like it just wasn't a funny joke. I didn't read the room and I got no support. And I spend a day in in-school suspension. <gasps> me, me, Wayne Brady never gets in trouble in school suspension, I had to lie to my grandma. You know what, now I'll say it because I'm too grown to get in trouble now. I forged her signature. <gasps> she never read the paper. I was not about to go home and get in trouble. I was not gonna have my grandma mad at me. So there, I've purged myself of that dark secret. You're admitting this for the first time right now? <laughs> I'm admitting it for the first time. I forged the hell out of that paper. <laughs> In fact, if I actually did ever get in trouble or got a bad grade, absolutely. Boop, boop, forged, done. Yes. I will tell you that. So on the outside, you were goody two-shoes, but you actually weren't such a goody two-shoes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Plotting, planning, and scheming. You're a tricky bitch. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what about injuries? Do you remember ever really hurting yourself in high school? Did you ever break anything? Yes, but I can't even say that it was, you know, some cool injury like... I was on the football team and I got hurt or I hurt myself doing track or no, we were rehearsing for my senior year. I was Albert in a uh, bye bye birdie. Thank you. And we were moving part of the stage apron. The crew wasn't there yet. So I decided to help the guys lift it. And there was one guy, I forget his name, but I've thought about him every day of my life because of the way that my toe looks now, my big toe. <gasps> We were lifting a piece of the apron, oh. and if you theater kids that have lifted the wooden piece that goes over the orchestra pit, you know that it can be heavy. Oh. There were only three of us lifting it. I saw it as it happened. I was like, no, 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 you have to pull up. I can't, I can't, no, 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 don't drop the, his hands go up, <gasps> the apron goes, I had on white sneakers, and this is the noise. It flattened. My toe was flattened. I broke my toe. It was some cartoon awesomeness. I am laying on the side. Ow! They took my shoe off. 
my toe was flat and now the nail was split down the middle. So from that day to now at 48, my toe has never, see, you're learning so many things that you never cared to know. My big toe is never, the nail has never grown right. So it's always been like a race to see what side makes it to the end of the toe. So for years, I would go get pedicures and they would put, you know, the powder to make like a fake nail and buff it so it wouldn't look because that was an ugly ass toe. This dude flattened my foot. I had to do Albert in heels. A, oh. in a cast. <gasps> you know the little boot, oh, the little no. boot. And I'm since I met my Rosie, we're doing a whole tap number in like a little club. It's hard to do a time step in a boot when your toe's broken. Wait a minute, but you see, for years you got the fake nail, and then when did you finally just decide to go braless or however you describe it? I think maybe during quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> you've given it up. Wow, you told the truth and you've gone powder free. Okay, and I guess my final question is I know that you basically dreamed of being a performer. What did you sort of fear your life would have been after high school? What was your big fear? That is such a good question. I think my biggest fear is that I would have ended up in the military doing something that. I really didn't want to do because being so dramatic, I always pictured my life if I had not acting as being like the closing scene of hair. Oh God, where he's in the crew cut and it's like going down the line. (laughs) Yes. And he's like, but he's not meant to be there. I felt that I just knew that I would have gone through ROTC. I would have gone into the air force or the army. I would have gone through training and I would have gone into war and I would be the first dude shot. I just knew it. I'm like, I am not cut out to be, I can act like that guy, but I am not cut out to be that person. I'm not my dad. And the funny thing is my sister, my younger sister, Kim, she's the one that ended up taking up the family mantle and God bless her. She's an army vet and I thank her for her service and everything that she's done. She was in Desert Storm. She's fought. She's like really been in it while her brother is playing the make believes. Mm-hmm. So that's why to this day, even on my shows, I always thank the military because I know that if not for that, we wouldn't be able to do what we do in the relative safety of this country. So, yeah. So I think that's my biggest fear is of being trapped in that role that I created for myself. Right. Right. You would have done it so well that you would have been actually put in the art. Woo. Yeah, that would have been, oh no. Starve, look, yeah. Now it's time for This or That. In this segment, I make my guests choose between two pop culture sensations from their high school years. Were you Phil Collins or George Michael? Phil Collins. How come? Because I loved Genesis. I absolutely loved Genesis. And if Phil Collins is never remembered for anything else, the friggin' drums at the beginning of that is one of the most amazing drum fills in pop music and su 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 studio. So yes. Were you more of a cost with the alligator or Ralph Ren with the polo? Ooh, I think at that point I'm gonna have to say what I would have wanted to wear. I think polo was killing yeah. it. Yeah. That was big. Yeah, the polos were nice. 
Did you ever get to have one? Yes. Once I started working, I would get my weekly check and I would give half to my mom for rent and for food. And I would go to a place called the Jeans Outlet on iDrive where they had a buy one, get one free. So I would buy something and get the other one free. And I built a little wardrobe and they had discounted polo. So Polo and Ralph, Lauren and, mm -hmm. and all those brands rocked it. And Oak Tree, that's when I started getting outfits. And how old were you when you started paying rent? 16. Wow, you were a mature kid. Um, speaking of fashion back in the 80s, were you Reebok sneakers or Topsiders? Um, neither. What? Yeah, I didn't really like either one. I started wearing the Reebok high tops when I started working at Disney because they were good to dance in and do the character stuff in. I was obsessed with Reeboks. And in terms of Whitney, greatest love of all, or I want to dance with somebody? I want to dance with somebody. Because that music video, Whitney really couldn't dance. She didn't have to. But the music video itself was great. And that dancer that was dancing with her was amazing. And I really love that song. This is High School Versus Now, where we find out how much my guest has changed since high school. So let's say you're on a Ouija board with, um, you know, Gene Dixon or John Warwick, a noted psychic, and um, the <laughs> you're in high school, and it says you will never actually be a performer. What would your next dream job be? And or... Today, you run into Dion Warwick, 1-800-PSYCHIC, and she says, Wayne, just so you know, you can't ever perform again. And you go, great, my next career will be this. So what would you have chosen at 18? And what would you have chosen now? It would have been an English or drama teacher. Basically the next best thing. Yeah, because the thing is, I love performing more than I love anything, but because I love learning and I love stories, I think it would have been an opportunity to learn as I'm trying to teach. And then I kind of fancy myself as being that teacher that walks in the first day of school and says, I'm throwing away the book, kids. Oh, I know you guys are bored. And I would have done my own reenactment of the Civil War as a rap. And then I would have done, broken down the Great Depression by acting out the Grapes of Wrath. So yes, I would have been that guy. You sound like an annoying version of Dead Poets Society. And what about as an adult? Yep. <laughs> Thank you. As an adult, would you still chosen the same career now that you know more careers? Believe it or not, I still would stick with teacher or law enforcement. As an adult, you would have chosen law enforcement? As an adult, to try to help. Yeah, but what about the bulletproof shield, the danger? Which I know sounds weird because I said that I didn't want to be a soldier running into battle. But even when I was younger, because there were so many cops, you know, in my neighborhood around the late 80s or early 90s, like when New Jack City mm. came out, that's when crack hit you know, a lot of neighborhoods and the drug trade got pumped up. That's when they started putting command centers in various neighborhoods. So coming into my neighborhood in one place and going out, you would always be stopped by these cops. So you had these cops harassing you as you're coming into your own neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And some of my white friends that would come and visit me from high school would come to drop me off. And I mean, I'm talking about me, me. Obviously, not the guy that we have ascertained from our interview, not the dude that would have been in trouble, mm -hmm. getting pulled over because I can't have a white friend come into my neighborhood without me selling him drugs. Oh. It can't happen. So even then, I remember thinking, you know, you guys don't deserve this job. I could do what you do better, and I would be fair, and I would know what I'm doing because I would read about the history and I would know mm -hmm. these things. 
So much respect to the cops that try to do their job in a decent way. But I think that I would try to make a difference, whether it is as a cop or my dad at one point was a guard in a juvenile facility to be able to do a job like that and try to make a difference. That'd be my second choice. Wow. Super impressed. Okay. What about this? You're in high school and one of the ROTC guys hears you in the locker room. You're like, borderline feels like I'm going to lose. And he's like, Wayne is gay, man. And then today you see some reviews saying Wayne Brady was so great in Kinky Boots because in real life he's actually gay. How would you have reacted back then versus now? I would have, well, not would have, I did. I think I took it so personally and got angry about it because I'm ashamed to say when you're young and when you come from certain places, the myth of what it means to be a man or your masculinity is this held on to prize. And so being a man means at least I'm not gay and at least I'm not a woman. All mm-hmm. of that nasty crap. If that's what you hear every day of your life growing up, at some point that leaks in and it becomes what you say and what you speak. It took me working at Disney and having a conversation with my drama teacher after I went to her at rehearsal and she asked me how Disney was. I said, it's cool, except you know, I was changing and this dancer said, ooh, you have a nice back. I'm like, man, these gay dudes, they but And that's all I managed to get out before Miss Ruggiero snatched my behind up and said, you need to recognize that as a young black man in this country, you know what I'm trying to do with you and you see how the world is and how you're treated. How dare you? How dare you talk about so you need to educate read me the riot act and my life was changed that day because I felt like these blinders dropped off. I went, what the hell? I was like, oh, so if you want to call me gay, great. Because some of the most amazing people in my world that lift me up, make me who I am, love me, teach me, and make me go into this world so I can kick ass have been gay. Great. Call me that all you want to. And I'd be proud because I couldn't imagine a world where I didn't have those friends and that life and those loves. So screw you. Okay. um, If you could actually, let's say someone from your high school right now is listening or the whole high school is listening. What would you like to say to your fellow high school members or to one particular person from high school that you've maybe never gotten to say before? Wow. I got it. This goes out to Jackie in 10th grade. Jackie was my date to the military ball. We got dressed up. I saved up for the tickets. I got her a corsage. I spent money that I did not have. We get to the military ball. Jackie dips with another guy in ROTC who couldn't afford to bring her. So I was used. I had a crush on Jackie from the time I was in fifth grade to the time that I was in 10th grade and she was a junior. She used me for my ticket and then left me high and dry. I was so destroyed that my buddy, Chris Clifton, shout out to Chris Clifton, we ended up going to see Full Metal Jacket as kids in ROTC do. So thanks, Jackie. Thanks for teaching me 
a lesson. And the lesson was, it's okay to love. It's not always going to be reciprocated. And sometimes you'll be taken advantage of, but you missed out on a catch. Wow, that was specific. That's real specific. Folks are going to come and see all these stories in my one-man show as soon as Broadway opens up again. Girl, I'm available to be in the audience. Final question. If Little Wayne Brady is somehow listening through a break in the time-space continuum, what would you say to 15-year-old Wayne Brady right now? I would tell him to hang on because he was so stressed out and so worried about what his life was going to be and couldn't see anything past, I'm gonna be stuck in the military and I'll never find love and I'll be ugly and no one will like me and I'll have this stutter and what am I gonna do in life? Calm down, Wayne, give it a year, you're gonna be good. And then give it 30 years and you're gonna be great. That's what I would tell him. Wow, so well said. Wayne Brady, I had the best time with you. Thank you for spending the high school times with me. So fun. I always love talking to you, Seth. Always. Oh, that was delightful. Seth Rudetsky's Back to School is produced by Sarah Esikoff. Our theme music was written by me, Seth Rudetsky, and sung by me and Maggie McDowell. Our band was me, Seth Rudetsky, Mark Schmied, Carrie Meads, and Jim Hirschman. This episode was mixed by Sarah Esikoff. Seth Rudetsky's Back to School is a Sirius XM production.